2: your perfect home, sweet home.
3: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks presented by Zaxby's DJ. Bucky uh, back with
4: you here. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good. DJ, it's a, uh, it's a crazy NFL week with everything that's going on, the pos- positive COVID test, and are we going to have some more postponements and stuff? But, look, football is good, and we got a great football weekend not only with the nfl but with college just marquee games to watch
0: yeah i'm looking forward to the weekend of football and we have a fun episode today i want to give you a heads up on what's uh, on the episode we've got one of the top prospects in next year's draft class caleb farley a corner from Virginia Tech who's a great player actually reminds me a lot of Chris McAllister who I was around with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I got to get a chance to to sit down and visit with him. Uh, he opted out of the season, so we'll hear the the story and the reasoning behind that decision as well as uh, what he's been up to training to get ready for the combine we've got uh, a great discussion to have on what's going on with the quarterback situation with Ron Rivera, Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, that whole that whole uh mm. uh interesting situation taking place there in the nation's capital. We also are going to run some uh, sound here from a, a manager that's still playing, uh, his team is still playing in the Major League Baseball season, who we talked to during the winter meetings. Um, well, I think you'll enjoy that sound based on what's going on with his team at the moment. Um, and a couple other topics we want to get to, in, including uh, we we had the assignment for our research department to go find the median age. So the average age of the starters at every position. And I think it's kind of interesting to see, uh, you know, where you can play young players in this league and, and have some success. Buck.
4: Yeah, no, it's, it's it's really interesting because we, we talk about this league and I know we know that it is like a three and a half, four year run for most players in the league. But still, when you're building your team, you're building your team with an optimistic view of, hey, we're going to have especially guys that we take at the top. They're going to be here for a while. They're going to form the core of our team for a five to seven year run. And so it is interesting to look at the median ages and kind of make some assessments and determinations off of that.
0: No doubt. Um, so let's let's get things rolling here. I want to start with what's going on in Washington with their quarterback situation, but, cause I think it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, we've talked about, I think it correlates to what we talked about in the last episode about Bill O'Brien being let go um, as somebody who was the general manager and the head coach. And I think this is another example of where it can be a little bit tricky when you have all your eggs in one, ba- in one basket when it comes to decision-making uh, you know, because the head coach, as we've said, is worried about what's for lunch tomorrow Uh, general manager is worried about where this franchise is going to be five years from now. And I feel like this decision, and I don't, we don't know everything that goes on inside that building preface it with that, but this decision feels to me like it was very, very short sighted in terms of what's best for the long-term interest of of the Washington football team.
4: Yeah, it is a very short sighted, um, decision. Um, and I'll say this full disclosure, um, Mm -hmm. I understand like the league isn't fair. Like you get in circumstances as a player and sometimes the circumstances certainly don't work to your favor. We saw it with Josh Rosen in Arizona, um, how it happened and played out in Miami. And we're seeing it again with Dwayne Haskins. Um, sometimes like when you're picked in the regime that picked you, if they're removed, like you, you don't have the cover you, or the protection. You, have no sponsor. you got no yeah, sponsor. Yeah. So you don't, you don't have any advocates in the building. And so in Washington and talking to people around the situation there, Dwayne Haskins has no advocates in the building. Everyone who were his biggest supporters are no longer in positions where they can have any sway or they don't have any currency when it comes to the decision-making process. So this is a situation where you have Ron Rivera who comes in and he is one-stop shop. He's general manager, he's head coach, he's everything. Everything st- starts and stops with him. And so I think his comments were very telling where he said, well, you know, if we were 2-2, two and two, he would still be the quarterback. And my situation is, I mean, you're one and three. Like, like what is
0: the major difference between one and three and two and two? Like, that doesn't it's make any sense. Decision. It's the most important decision on the most important position for not only this week, this year, for the next 10 years, potentially. Yeah, and to make it because he's like, hey, well, you look around the division and the division
4: is in play. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. But I just don't know. If you say that and you're done with Dwayne Haskins, that's one thing. I don't know why you hand him the ball to start the season. But – Now that you handed him the ball and you you build up the entire offseason saying, hey, he's worked hard. He's done all the things. We've seen him turn the corner. Blase, blase, blase. And then you pull the plug. I just don't know how you could ever bring it back and give him another start. I, I just think it's over for him. And if that is the case, like that is fine. But I just think it's a very short sighted decision to pull the plug on a young quarterback, 11 games into his tenure in the National Football League with three different head coaches.
0: Okay, let me give you a little bit of analogy here. It's a, it, it's a different, but I think the the point can be made. You're a team. Say you have a um, shoot. I can go to. Let's go to a different sport. Let's go to baseball. You're a team that has a pitcher that's. Uh, you're in the postseason. You've got a pitcher who's who's your best pitcher, but there's risk with putting him out there. So let's say he's he's 24 years old. Okay, Buck. So we can put him out there, and we can. He's gonna. We're gonna win this game. We pitch this dude. We're gonna win this game, but. There's a chance he gets hurt and we might lose him or or not have the same impact from him for the next 10 years. It could it could ruin his career. You're doing the same exact thing with this. Like, does Kyle Allen help you start? Maybe he helps you win 4 percent more than Dwayne Haskins would help you win this week. Who cares? You're not. Kyle Allen's never going to be your championship caliber quarterback. That ain't it. You still have a chance to learn more about Dwayne Haskins, which can help guide your decision making in the offseason, which will set course for your franchise for the next 10 to 15 years. I'm not here telling you I think Dwayne Haskins is the the answer, that he's the guy. I'm telling you, just let's get a little more opportunity to figure that out. This is a figure it out year. Okay, you're going to win the NFC East at eight and eight. You're not going anywhere in the postseason. I mean, I guess you get a T-shirt and a hat. I mean, if that's what yeah. you want, get yourself a T-shirt and a hat. You're not going anywhere. The whole goal should be building towards a championship. And to me, this decision does not help you build towards a championship because either you figure out Dwayne Haskins can play and that's going to help you build, or you give him more time to fairly evaluate him and you realize he's not the guy which allows you to go replace him in this next draft, which will help you ascend towards a championship. This, to me, is you're, you're this is like settling in base camp, man. Like, you, you ain't going anywhere.
4: And then that's what you get. And when you have the coach who has all of the authority, um, I wrote about it and talking about Bill O'Brien. I talked about um, front offices are really set up like the U.S. government. There should be a checks and balances system. You have the three different legislative branches. They hold a check on each other's power to make sure that you just don't have a tyranny. And what you have in Washington is a tyranny. You have a dictatorship where you have one guy who is controlling everything and that can work if he is special in all aspects of team building, evaluation, coaching, being able to have a long-term plan for what his program is going to be and those things. Typically and traditionally, coaches don't have that ability to look at the here and now and also what is to come down the road. And I think what is also in play, DJ, we've seen in the last five years when it comes to quarterback, that there's been a seismic shift in terms of how we develop young quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. The shift is... It used to be when we were scouting, hey, we got to get a quarterback that fits my system. I need this guy that can come in and do these things or I don't want him. What we're now seeing, no, what can he do? Okay, let's take what he does. Let's build around that for his first year. And then let's just keep adding little tools to the toolbox each and every week to give him a chance to fully develop. And the goal is by year three, We now can get them to play our way, but we want to win with the young guy because we've seen your championship window is those first five years that you have a young quarterback. That's how they do it. And when I hear them talk about system better fit in our system, my system, this, this guy knows our system. To me, it is going counterculture to the way that the national football league is going. And we'll see if old school still works out when it comes to developing the quarterback.
0: Yeah. You know, I don't know. I I, I, don't, I just don't think this this decision and what they did helps them get to the ultimate goal. Which everybody begins. You take a job with a with a goal in mind to win a championship. Mm-hmm. You, you don't take a, a job with it in mind to saying, okay, in the what do I have to do to scratch together, you know, eight wins to win the worst division in the NFL? Like that's not. I don't know. That's just, that's, that's me. I think this is detrimental to the long-term success of the organization.
4: It's a short-term thing, but it's also another um, thing. You talked about the head coach being at the top. It is also a thing where when you make those decisions, because we've been in front offices where either the coaches have the sway, not just the head coach, but the position coaches have the sway in draft meetings versus the scouts. And if you tend to listen to the coaches, the draft board looks a lot different than when the scouts kind of stack it up. And this is a situation where, I believe coach Rivera has really turned the personnel side to the coaches and knowing that Scott Turner found Kyle Allen as an undrafted free agent. He likes Kyle Allen. He has said he believes that he can be a high end starting quarterback in the national football league. This has all that wrapped into it. It has coaches trusting his coaches that this is going to be what's best for the long-term vision of the program. And so we'll just have to kind of see what it, what it is. But I do know it is very, very hard to really get a full beat on your young quarterback in four weeks without an offseason to determine whether he can play or not. And I just don't know how you can bring him back if it falters with the other two quarterbacks because Alex Smith is now the backup. I know. <laughs> and, and, and so Steven Montez was getting more reps. You know, and so I mean, it's one of those things. But I will say this about Dwayne Haskins this will be the challenge that he has to face. Can you continue to do all of the things that you committed to doing in the offseason by your own account? Can you continue to do it when there's no light at the end of the tunnel? Can you still go in early? Can you still do the work? Can you still prepare as if you're going to be the player? That is the challenge, and that is the challenge that a lot of young guys and backup players struggle with. Can he continue to work as if the opportunity is going to come back to him? That would be the challenge that I would uh, want to see how he handles and how he responds to that.
0: Can we can we put one thing to to rest though? Because I think there's people on the outside. If you've never been in a, an organization, or if you're you're watch, looking at this from the outside, and I've seen it on social media a good bit, of people insinuating that that there's race involved with Dwayne Haskins. This to me is it's exactly what we it's you have a sponsor in the building. If you don't have a sponsor in the building, you that's it. That's the whole name of the game. And I did. Mm-hmm. I, I know Ron Rivera a little bit. I don't know him extremely well, but to me, I think it's kind of, it, it's insulting to me that you think that that plays into this because I, I do not think that plays into it. I think this is about whether or not you drafted him, you supported him. He was your guy. And that's how, that's how I look at it.
4: No, I don't, I don't think, I don't think race has anything to do with the decision. I think where the race bar comes in is like the words that leak out. Right. So yeah. like, Immediately after decision, you then see on Twitter reports of like, oh, they say he couldn't learn the playbook or, oh, his lazy work habits or whatever. And so for so long, DJ, like those words or those negative terms or, or portrayals always kind of were tagged with like African-American quarterbacks. And so I think the outrage or the some of the stuff that you hear is not necessarily about the decision itself, but it's about the undocumented or unsubstantiated stuff that comes mm-hmm. out after that to maybe justify the decision as opposed to like, Hey, we just wanted to go say, like Kyle Allen is a better fit in our system. We want to hand him the ball and away they go. It's the other stuff that kind of makes it that. And I think that the reaction is more to the, the noise as opposed to really the decision.
0: That that's actually really, I'm glad you said that because that, that I get that, that, that makes sense. And that would frustrate me too. Uh, hearing, that, um, but to me, I think the, you know, the the decision itself was made yeah. because. He's yeah, not no, a, no,
4: it's, he's the, it's the advocate. The guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's not a guy And, and we've, we've seen that like and that happens everywhere. That happens in business. That happens, whatever people take over, no matter the job that the person that was there previously, hey I want to get my own guy. I think it would be the same way if you and I had an opportunity to take over a franchise and do the thing like you have people that if you're going to do it, you're bringing your crew and that's. Just the way that it works. And I understand that. And so um, we'll see. It's just unusual circumstances when you're doing this. And I just wanted to, like, it is a very short sighted decision, but I also understand the desire to want to hang another banner in Washington, even if it is a division banner.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I, I got fired. I got fired once in Cleveland and when it was the guy that brought me there, got fired. So new go, had, a new guy comes in and you, you go in the office. Hey, I want to bring in my own people. Nothing you did, but I want to get my own guys. All right, that's you want. I'm not your guy. There you go. Yeah,
4: and and and, and that's how it goes. But yeah, it it is interesting. But I do believe that we do have to monitor um, head coaches with all of the power because I don't even think Washington. Do they even have a general manager, or do they just have?
0: I, I think they had up, an acting. They had an acting general manager, right? Isn't it? Um,
4: I know uh, someone that was up under. I didn't know if he because i I've, I've never heard his voice. Regardless,
0: yeah, we've seen these. Italian re, uh regimes where you yeah, have it's the, hard. It's hard to make that work, man.
4: When you have the head coach in charge of everything. And so we're just going to see how, how it works out.
0: All right. It's something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, all right. I, I want to get into this, uh, this talk about the median age of players by position. So Nabil, you can uh, check me on this, but I want to make sure I got this right. So when we're looking at it, taking that all the starters this year by position, the youngest position in the nfl so where you want to have youth and where those young guys are able to play is at looks like running back then receiver. running
1: back it's running yeah. back and then receiver
0: yep so you've got running back and receiver are the two youngest positions in the nfl where you want to have fresh legs which begs the question of gosh we ought to go back and look at some of the bad teams like the first thing that pops off to my mind is uh is the jets with, with a 37-year-old old're getting a lot, you know, the majority of their carries at this point in time when the average age is 25, you know, God bless Frank, he's had a Hall of Fame career, but you're giving a lot of carries to somebody that's 12 years older than the average player in his position. That's crazy.
4: It is crazy, DJ, but it also goes back to, and this is a debate that, uh, it's a nuanced debate, but it's a debate that plays out uh, in the Twitterverse over and over again. And it's the debate about, when do you get your running back and how long do you hold on to your running back? Like, should you ever give a running back a second contract? Because when you look at this median age of being 25 years and 172 days, man, I, most guys come into the league at 22 ish, 23. Mm-hmm. So it's, te- I mean, it's, it's kind of telling you like that is right in the middle of one that. Contract. First. Yeah.
0: It's
4: a, it's a one contract deal. And so now you have to make the decision. What is the best way to go about it? Like um, we've seen the sweet spot, in the draft around the second round when it comes to those running backs. But as a general manager, are you courageous enough to play the game? You're like, Hey, we just letting you know, we don't do second contracts for running backs. Like, I mean, are you willing to do that? Because it has been proven. You said that we talked about the situation down with the chargers, Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler, like guys have been able to find guys um, that can give them comparable production. There's a whole list of guys that have been able to do it. Uh, I still believe that there is a line of demarcation between the special ones and whatever, but it's so narrow that, I mean, you can get away with it if you have the right system and those things. And so as we think about team building and we think about like the production and the, the expense of bringing on some of those positions, running back appears to be one that you can get away without a marquee guy playing the position if you're willing to throw a lot of, draft picks or undrafted free agent signings at it and have a room of guys that you just
0: kind of roll through there. Uh, Nabil, write this nugget down because it's another assignment that's cropped in my head here for our uh, researchers. I would love to then know um, what position is spent the most time on IR or, you know, has been put down for the year. What positions, because my guess is Buck running backs are probably a pretty high percentage of that in terms of volatility with the durability issues.
4: Yeah. I I mean, I think, I think that is, Probably true, DJ. Um, I mean I'm thinking about Philip
0: Lindsey, Philip Lindsay's missed time. We just saw us neckler get hurt. Saquon Barkley's down. Christian McCaffrey's been hurt. That's off the top of my head.
4: Yeah. So in, in thinking about that, should we think about stockpiling the room differently? You know, mm-hmm. if you know, we've talked about every other year drafting a quarterback or every third year drafting a quarterback. Should we draft a running back every year somewhere between the the third and fifth? Yeah, like should, should we just say like, hey, we always a lot a spot that no matter what, each and every year we're bringing in a running back, and I mean maybe we bring in not only a running back via draft, but we also bring in an undrafted running back and just give those guys opportunities to get on the field because if it is um, a position that is a bit of a revolving door position, you need to make sure that you have a stable full of guys. And the Baltimore Ravens, for instance, they have a stable full of running backs because they're very very committed to running the football, and so. You need to devote um, your
0: assets to kind of the style of play that you have. All right. Nabil, help me out on this one again because of the lines here. I think I've got this right. The oldest, oldest position um is I would have guessed quarterback just because we think of Tom Brady and Drew Brees having some of those guys. But oh, I believe it's actually is, center? is it center? Yeah, it center? It's center. Yeah, it's center. How about that? With well, DJ, right? Like, so that's 20, average age is 28 years and 103 days at center. So that's the oldest average uh, age for the starters in the league. Man, it's funny
4: um, because what I would love to know, like we don't have the linebackers broken out, but uh, football is a game that's controlled by the guys in the middle, positions of centrality. So the positions of centrality in the middle are typically your high IQ positions. So it's center, quarterback, middle linebacker, and free safety. I would love to look at those numbers in terms of the age because it's so much communication involved mm-hmm. and so much experience needed to really be great in those areas. It does make sense to me. The center is one because they have to deal with the protection calls. They have to get people lined up. They identify the point person each and every call, especially if you have a young quarterback behind you, you take some of the burden off his plate by having the center identify and do some of those things or whatever. So to me, it does make sense that you have older guys that are able to do it.
0: Yeah. And they have the linebackers, the number, but like I said, we don't have a broken down between outside guys and inside guys with on the ball, off the ball. Mm-hmm. So the average age, the linebackers as a whole is 26. Feel uh, older of some of those, yeah. It's a little bit older, but I think it's, I think it's different because if you think about the two oldest positions, center and quarterback, well, the quarterback age is high because of the old veterans we have, right? Yeah. So with breeze and Brady and Ben and rivers, where movement and athleticism for those older quarterbacks is not really necessary and if you think about center center plays with two neighbors you know always
4: always has neighbors yeah
0: you're not going to get isolated as much there so maybe if you slip and you lose a little quickness you lose a little athleticism we can still cover that up and we can get by whereas off the ball linebacker we've talked about this before if you can't run if you can't run you're going to get crushed in coverage with with these tight ends and backs you're going to see and some of the co- coverage responsibilities you would have as an off the ball linebacker so even though like the nerve center if we're talking about the nerve center going down the middle of the defense i think it's maybe that's why the linebacker is a little bit younger because i mm-hmm. think athleticism is, a, is more required at that off the ball linebacker spot than it would be say at center or quarterback
4: yeah we've seen that and we've seen how you can expose a linebacker who is not great in coverage um the guys, the athletes on the perimeter are too fast. The crossing routes and the things that offensive coordinators are doing to really isolate and exploit um, matchups, we, we see that show up. So your point is valid, and I think it's really a good one. You do have to be more athletic when you think about the defensive part of it in the middle of the, the, the field, the linebacker, the free safety, because those guys are isolated, uh, where you could hide them in yesteryear because of the run game and they only had to control the, the tackle-to-tackle box. Now the game is so open with empty formations and spread sets. It's hard to play with a slow linebacker.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's interesting nugget though on the center thing, because now you're talking about getting potentially second and third contracts at that position. So if you have a center that you love in the draft, you know, like, you know, Minnesota took a guy like Garrett Bradbury. I mean, he can be their center for 12 years. You know, that, that is a long-term answer that you plug in there. So if you have a guy you love, not a bad pick in the first round,
4: not a bad pick. And, uh, the wonder isn't anything and everything, but one of the things that we've always looked for when it comes to the center, it's less the athletic traits and more the cerebral nature of how they go about their business. And because as you said, they always play with neighbors. I just need them to be smart enough to understand exactly what their limitations are and can they use savvy and craftiness to put themselves in a position to always be able to do it. And I'll say this, I got it. I played in college with who played in the league for a long time, Jeff Saturday, Jeff oh, yeah. Saturday. Um, I mean, he went to the Pro Bowl a number of times, wasn't the best athlete, wasn't the prototypical center in terms of arm length or whatever, but he was smart and he really understood his game. And as long as he understood his game and what opponents were doing, he was able to play a long time. And so that is a classic example of how those guys can play and play for a long time without having the best physical traits when it comes to playing the position.
0: No doubt. Um, All right, here, before we get to this, this interview with uh, Caleb Farley, we are in the middle of the baseball postseason. The Dodgers, as much as it pains me, are, are well on their way to moving on in the postseason. And it got me thinking about the conversation I had with Dave Roberts, their manager, uh, about how they would take on this season. Now, at the time we did the interview, we didn't know we we're going to be in the middle of a pandemic and have a shortened 60-game s- sprint for a season. But I wanted to ask him about the disappointment of the previous year and then how you kind of get back on the horse. So I wanted to just air a little snippet of that conversation I had with Dave Roberts. So uh, here you go.
4: What is the mindset and the mentality to come from, come back from a big disappointment to still get back and maybe be able to change the result the following year?
3: It's not easy. It's not easy. And, yeah, I've managed for four years and uh, <laughs> losing twice in the World Series, uh, you know, Division Series, NLCS. And so it's not easy, but I think that uh, it's something that people don't understand, you know, to go all the way up the mountain and to give everything you have for eight months and, you know, to then lose, to then have to have that grit or that, you know, intestinal or whatever you want to call it, to get back up there individually, collectively, to go back up that mountain that is not guaranteed to get to the top. Is not easy, um, but I think that I'm fortunately uh, blessed with a lot of great coaches, um, front office and, and players, most important, that uh, we're, we're synced up and we got a tough group of guys and understand that, you know, we 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 failed in the sense of we didn't we don't have that ring. But I still think that, you know, over the last four years, we've won more baseball games than any team in the big leagues. And I think that there's something to be said for that. But, yeah, we're all kind of defined by championships and rings and especially when you're in Los Angeles and you got to deal with Magic Johnson, (laughs) who's who's the king of all the rings. So, man, uh, the bar, the bar is certainly high, but but I love that and we're going to get there.
0: Yeah, that was uh, that was Bucky asking a great question there of Dave Roberts. Um, As we stand right now, Buck, the the Dodgers up two nothing on the Padres. I got a chance uh, this evening. To close out that series but he's man what an infinitely likable guy if you go back and listen to that whole interview you'll hear about his football background as well kind of one of the reasons why we want to talk to him about that crossover between the sports
4: yeah I, I think he, he he uses a, a bunch of different uh, experiences that he had not only being a baseball player obviously but being a quarterback in high school and coming up through the ranks uh, to help him where he is with his team he talked about climbing the mountain and the difficulty and expending so much energy and effort to get to that point and falling short. DJ, I want to point to the Atlanta Falcons as the example of how it can fall apart when Mm -hmm. you don't close the door, um, when you have an opportunity. This is a team that was legitimately three minutes away from winning the world title. And since that point, they've fallen hard because they really haven't been able to pick up the pieces. And so when you look at the Dodgers and the Dodgers' ability to go to the series and lose, to the series and lose, to a championship game and lose. Like, that is very, very hard to sustain it and to go back and lose and, like, to to pick that up. I was fortunate enough to go to the Buffalo Bills after they went to four straight Super Bowls and lost each of those. Like, when you think about that now and the difficulty of just getting to one, man, what kind of resiliency and and, and grit and determination do you have to be able to kind of continue to get back up it is something that is very, very, very difficult to do and hats off to them for being able to do it. But I, I think it's one of the things that we want to see from the San Francisco 49ers. How are they going to bounce back from their disappointment because they also could taste um, they could taste the champagne. They could feel the confetti about the fall on their shoulders and they lose. How do you get that back when you don't get to fast forward and get right back to that spot all over again?
0: Yeah, it's interesting when you, th- you think about how flippantly, and I'm guilty of this, will say things like the Jacksonville Jaguars when they lose in the, in the AFC championship game. Don't worry about it. The Jags would look at all that young talent. They're going to be back here year after year, after year, this is kind of the beginning of a long run. Didn't happen. You look mm-hmm. at the 49ers. You last year, you said, okay, man, they almost finished it. Didn't finish it. Um, they'll be right back to the class of the NFC. All of a sudden, now you get a couple injuries. You have to trade people, be a trade to Forrest Buckner. Cause you can't afford to pay everybody. Now the quarterback gets hurt. Bosa's out. I mean, like, all of a sudden, th- what we think is going to be a long, sustained run, it doesn't happen. So when you are that deep, when you've got a chance to close the deal and you don't, to me, it it tells you a lot about the uh, character and depth of an organization when they can get right back up there and get right back in the fight and get back to where they were.
4: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing because I think the challenge then goes to, do we keep this team as presently constructed and hope that everything is going to fall our way all over again and that is going to be the difference that way we're just going to finish it our players are going to get better or do we need to make a move to make us better um to give us an opportunity to win if we do get another opportunity and we've seen it both ways and we've seen it fail both ways so there's no um there's no magic formula that says this is going to ensure that we get back and and make it happen It, it it is tough i think the only thing that you can do is when you get in that opportunity The urgency has to be that we have to get this because there's no guarantee that we're getting back.
0: That's a great point, man. Uh, All right, let's uh, let's get to this conversation I had uh, with Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Farley. Again, one of the most talented players in the country, decided not to play this year, um, but somebody we're going to be hearing a lot about as we march towards the draft. Here's my conversation with Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Farley. All right, Caleb. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. I guess uh, my first question for you is: uh, let, Let's go back to the decision—the um, decision to uh, to start the draft process early, uh, to opt out of this season. What went into that decision, and uh, why did you decide to do what you did? I
5: mean, so many factors went into this decision, um, but I bet it, it came down to me basically deciding, you know, what was best for me, talking with my father, and um, just seeing how uncertain everything looked for the season, and um. There was just so many speculations I had. I, I had no idea what was going on. And, um, you know, um, and then the risk of my father contracting the virus or my close family members or anything like that, it just ended up being a no-brainer for me that, you know, it would be best for me to start preparing for the NFL draft and, you know, uh, make sure I'm, I'm healthy and in shape. And um, It was just a no-brainer.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll get to uh, what you're doing training-wise, getting ready for the combine. But I want to go back to you as a player because I had, I had a lot of fun – uh, studying you on tape and it actually reminded me a lot of a guy I was around while I was with the Baltimore Ravens was Chris McAllister, who was just a real big physical athletic corner, one of one of the best in the league for for a period of time there. The thing I loved about your your game is just your combination of your physicality and your ball skills. And I, I want to go to your kind of football beginning in terms of okay. when you when you started playing the position and what are the positions you might have played growing up. Because to me a lot of times you have instincts like yours. I have an idea that you you might have played some other positions growing up,
5: uh yeah, I definitely um always been a football player my whole life, you know Halloween six years old, seven years old, eight years old I was always a football player, so um actually uh, it's I never played corner until uh Florida State until my first college game, but I was always a offensive dude I always had an offensive mentality um quarterback running back uh like scat back type of type of positions I was always uh i used to be a lot shorter, quicker, and um always had the like um mentality to make make them miss and use use my speed. So um it really the defensive side of the ball really um did not come natural to me and it was a uh, a huge transition, you know,
0: um bigger than a lot of people would think. How how did that how did that grow with you though? Like in terms of you obviously when you watch it on tape, you look very comfortable and confident. So when did that start to click for you?
5: I would say after my freshman year um, just working and going into the off season, it was kind of different because now, like, I kind of knew what I needed to work on, um, or different cuts or different different things, and um, and just the mentality. You, you know, my whole mentality changed. Um, um, I just got more confident in myself and my abilities. And I got more aggressive. I felt older. Um, I just <laughs> it just started to come together and click, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun.
0: One of, the, one of the favorite games for me to watch was your Miami game because you see a lot of good in there. Some some things you can improve on, um, but w- w- I want you to walk me through the the, uh, the red zone interceptions there. W- walk me through that one. What 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 did you remember about that in terms of the the coverage you were in, the leverage and and uh, and how you made the plays you made? I was basically just in man
5: coverage, and I actually I I actually made probably I guess technically the wrong decision because his split was so far on the inside and I aligned even right before the snap, I stepped inside, but I was thinking, you know, um, the the guy I was guarding, he wasn't really faster than me. Like he couldn't Mm -hmm. run away from me and I didn't think he was quicker than me neither. So I expected him to go outside just off of his split, but I wanted, I didn't want him to like, give me like a move to make me jump inside. So I kind of just stepped there right before the snap of the ball and, um, he did what I wanted him to do. He just declared early. It just made him, it just made him declare. And then I just tried to undercut it and just try to out quick him with, which talking to uh, DB coaches and stuff. Now they was telling me, wow, why, why would you step inside? <laughs> and I understand that that wasn't the right smart decision to do.
0: Yeah. But you got faith. You have faith in your, and your juice to be able to cover that up. Um, your ability to find the ball down the field. Um, what what are some of the teaching points you've been taught you do it very well of uh, being able to, to stay in phase, locate and play the ball? Well, see Coach Mitchell
5: was my first corner coach, really my only corner coach. Um and he used to always I, I had a problem of playing through the hands and not looking mm-hmm. back just because I didn't want to get beat so bad. Like I would so mm-hmm. I would sometimes I would panic or get flustered. So but he did a good job of teaching me how to look and lean, um, how to how to stay on top, play top down and um and just try to put my shoulder and just lean into the receiver and look back and find the ball because, you know, we, we got to turn into the receiver, too, at the, at the top of the routes. And you know? I think the good DBs are able to have – are able to locate the ball and attack it at its highest point. And, and like, the best DBs got to have good ball skills.
0: Walk me through – walk me through the touchdown in the, in that game. You're in off coverage. Um, you get cross-faced there. Walk me through that and what you kind of learned from that – from that experience in Miami game. Jeff Thomas. Number. Yep. Oh, yeah.
5: It was me being um, late in the game, late in the game, and they was wanting. On film, they had ran this, like, bender route, like, this kind of, like, where he would come in a cut split, and you would think that he would come back out, but he just runs, like, hard five steps and then bang, like, just like mm-hmm. a skinny post type deal. And it was Jeff Thomas. You know, he quick, so I was um, <laughs> and I just – I don't, don't want to give up a ball, so I was going to bite on it. I, and I seen the look, the same formation. And I was like, man, they're going to bang. They're going to try and bang this in between my safety, me and my safety. And um, I just I just bit way too much when he stemmed me. When mm-hmm. he stemmed me, in my head, I was like, oh, yeah, he's stemming the cut inside. But he was just setting me up. And I, and I didn't have to bite as much as I did with the stem. And um, I should have just played my leverage. I had a safety sitting in the middle. I could have stayed on his outside shoulder and just opened my hips with him and, and been there to make the play. But he definitely ran, you know, a good route. But I think it was more of me in my head, like what I was thinking and what I was mm-hmm. thinking. And it kind of just it kind of just I stopped myself in the foot.
0: Well, I, I love listening to you talk about the stuff you'd seen on, on tape. Can you walk me kind of through what a week was like for you, a game week in terms of? Not not what's going on in the facility, you know, yeah, with, just with like meetings and practice. Yeah, on your own. What what's your preparation? Like what, what's your process as you're getting ready for a game during the week?
5: Um, well, I'll start just just watching like a a, a wide overview of the teams. Um, kinda almost like I'm watching it as a fan. Just mm-hmm. try to see some tendencies like third and three, third and six, or whatever whatever the case may be. Just try to learn what that offensive coordinator like how he thinks in certain situations or or, or who he may rely on or who they may trust on their team. And then after that, I'll just kind of go into deeper, deeper analysis of who I'm going to be guarding, um, what kind of releases that they're doing, what, like, their mannerisms and their route. Um, and just trying to get, really just trying to see anything I can see to help me or, or give me uh, some more, like, rest on the situation, like, just to help me relax and, and help me know that I, I did and looked for everything that I could.
0: Yeah, I get information, man. Information is power on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, what have you been working on in training? What, what's your area of focus you've been uh, trying to get ready? I know it's got to be weird. I mean, knowing that you're this far out from, you know, from a combine and pro days and all that stuff. H- how are you kind of pacing yourself through that process and what are you focusing on? Yeah, um, since
5: since I haven't I haven't played DB all my life. Um, I've been installing and just installing installing the fundamentals uh, my I'm making sure my brain and my feet are on cue, um, how to move, how to be an efficient mover, you know, make sure my steps are, um, sharp. And, um, I just been installing the, the the fundamentals of playing corner and how I should be thinking, um, different coverages, um, trying to get, trying to get better at route recognition and, um, just seeing formations and kind of predicting on what maybe how they might try to attack the defense. Um, but basically I'm just lifting, trying to stay healthy, um, Stay strong, and um, install all of these basic footwork, um, like these basic drills and stuff like that.
0: Oh, that's great, man! Uh, in terms of guys you've you've watched or, or uh, been a fan of, is there any is there any corner in particular that you kind of that's your guy that you've studied uh, growing up? Um, I mean, I'm a big Jalen
5: Ramsey fan, um, and I know he hasn't been in, in the league long, but I um, mean, he's just a dog, like. If, if I could pick, if I could pick anybody to play corner light, it would be Jalen Ramsey because he's just, he's big, he's he's long, and he just plays with that
0: mentality that you know nobody can stop him. What's your personality like on the field? Are you a talker, or you are you are you, uh, or uh, you keep quiet out there? You know,
5: I've I've come into the game with many different personalities. Uh, I guess it just depends on my mood. I guess it depends who we're playing. Um, but I usually I usually. Um, show respect, you know, to my opponents and, and and play as hard as I can while keeping it clean. Um but then again, you know, we play football. You just never know you just never know how somebody's gonna come at you or, or anything. So I, I try to I try to talk like on the like left side. Like I, I try not to talk that much, but I definitely have gotten into my verbal altercations on the field.
0: I like that. Some, sometimes that's needed. Hey, what? Um, tell, tell everybody, I know I've been there and uh, you've experienced it. But for a lot of people that are listening or watching right now, they don't know about Virginia Tech okay. a, at night and what that entrance is like and what that juice is like. So just kind of set the scene for everybody of what that atmosphere is like when you're coming out.
5: In the tunnel, we have like the seniors names on the wall. And, like, that will be shaking and, like, like it's a stereo system in there. And then when you run out, man, it's just that energy just lasts the whole game, especially if we're having a good game or it's a close game or anything like that. And energy just lasts the whole game, man.
0: It's just incredible. Oh, that's big time. All right. I Last question here, man. You've been very generous with your time. I, I appreciate it. Um, when we get to your rookie season, um, let, let's fast forward. We get to the end of your rookie season. Okay. For you to say that was a success, what needs to happen in your rookie year? That's a that's a that's
5: a damn good question. I need to start thinking about that more. But I would say, um, after my rookie season, you know, I don't I don't really want it to be like a grace period, like another green period, kind of like my freshman year in college, like learning the position. You know, I'm comfortable. I feel like I feel like I can I can go play the position good, to just as good as anybody else. So after my rookie season, I, I would I would love to be acknowledged as, um, you know somebody not 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 to play with. I don't wanna say I'm gonna have it all together mm-hmm. my rookie season, but yeah. I would definitely like to be respected by my peers, you know, by coaches and um, you know, every time I step on the field, you know, I'm trying to earn everybody respect. So I'm
0: I'm just gonna go out there and we'll see. We'll see. I love it, man. That's that's a great answer. I mean I appreciate your time today, Caleb. That was awesome. I appreciate you. <laughs> Well, it's was a, a fun conversation there with a really talented football player in Caleb Farley. And, uh, you know, if you haven't seen him play yet, you'll uh, you'll learn about him. He'll be a first-round pick, one of the top corners taken in the upcoming draft. He's 6'2", 207 pounds, uh, big, physical, tough, can play the football. And I love the fact, in talking to him, he, he had a, a good memory, you know, being able to uh, recall plays in that Miami game, specifically ones that went well and ones that didn't go well. Um, showed to me that he's he's serious about his craft and um, uh, had a good understanding. So still, again, learning and growing as a new player at the position, but uh, impressive, impressive kid. That's one of the things I've loved about our podcast is getting a chance to visit with these guys before anybody else does. You know, teams, and you know, I talk to general managers and tell them I'm getting ready to talk to some of these players, and they'll actually feed me some questions they want me to ask so they can get some answers. So uh, great opportunity to visit with these guys. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, as much as we did. Inspired by ongoing conversations with players, the NFL launched NFL Votes to empower and improve our communities by exercising the right to vote. Uh, join the NFL family by v- registering to vote today and make your voice heard this November. Visit nfl.com slash votes to learn more. Uh, well, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening to Move the Sticks. Again, you can check out all the uh, Move the Sticks video content. Just hit up uh, youtube.com slash podcasts. Uh, we'll have the takeaway podcast on Monday uh, with the video show as well as the audio podcast there. So I uh, appreciate you guys. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks presented by Zaxby's.